do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, hopefully I'll, anybody that missed that first part of the recording can go back and watch group A or B where we read chapter 19 together. Anyway, sorry, keep going. <laughs> it's just interesting when you look at, and then also, so Sasha's my sister and I texted her and I go, oh, these 10 countries remind me of uh, the 10 horns, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, when I've looked into that whole section and the beast and the 10 horns and everything, and if you liken those countries, the Iraq and Iran, you know, all of those parts of the countries that were part of Assyria, it all fits into place with that, that prophecy. It was really interesting. But I don't know, it, it's, I don't know, maybe it'll leave something for you guys and you guys can study it that way and take it and read it in that light and see if you guys have any input because maybe you guys see things differently or have you? I mean, maybe somebody's already looked into that or studied it about the 10 horns and stuff. Well, it makes me go back and think about our study in um, uh, Isaiah Dakota no, not Isaiah decoded the um, Abraham book that we studied and about how Abraham, you know, had the two sons, how he loved um, Ishmael so much. And yet those are the people that are going, I mean, Isaac's people have gone astray and it's Ishmael's people that will straighten them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how this all ties back into one common father, Father Abraham there, for some of these end-time uh, things, how they play out. That was very eye-opening to me as I started studying like Daniel and, and Ezra's prophecies and how it all uh, ties back to Abraham. It always goes back. <laughs> yeah, and Ishmael was, what do you say, the outcast son? Mm -hmm. And yet the outcast son is used to bring back those who cast out themselves. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Nephites and Lamanites, right? I mean, the right. Lamanites are always the ones to, to help the Nephites get back on course kind of thing. Yeah, very interesting. Any other parts of, of chapter 19 that, that stood out to you that, um, let's see, bring it back up here. Um, in group B, we really talked about uh, the, the water and the rivers and things, you know, I, I'm sure that there's a lot more to it as well, but uh, we're definitely seeing that, especially this year, um, as we look at, at waterways really drying up. Um, who sent me that picture? Just a second. I, I've got like a fun picture of that, that that Nancy sent me. Just a second. Bring it up here. So Cameron, while you're pulling that up, I'm super curious because in Utah, where my family and I just moved from, yes, it's super, super, super dry. But where we live now in the wilderness of Arizona, kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, we entered what they call monsoon season. And I guess they haven't had monsoons for years, but now they're back and places are like flooding and it's so green. The desert is so green right now. So I yeah. wonder if there are other places in the United States that are like that. Because usually it looks like the bottom picture you've got there. And right now it's looking more like the top picture in desert Arizona. It's we, like, it's almost like it's flipped backwards. We had an unusually wet spring, like very unusually wet. And 
um, we here in Fort Worth are already having temperatures in the 60s at night, which is very unusual. We've <laughs> only had a handful of days in the hundred where usually, you know, it's a lot more like days, like a month or more of hundred degrees. But we also had a snowstorm this year. So while it's not unusually like cool, cool, it's much cooler. Um, you know, it, I don't want to say much cooler. It's cooler than it normally is, but it's not cold yet. It's just been an unusual climate this year. We've experienced much of the same over here on the East Coast. I live in Virginia. And I was just talking to my daughter, Victoria, on the phone. She's up at BYUI. I was like, holy cow, it is so cool outside. Like when I went out this morning and I was going to go read um, outside in the hammock and I was like, man, maybe I should go back in and get a blanket. And normally August like is super dry and hot. Like that's the hottest month. Like you said, hundreds and whatever. And, and like, it's even too chilly to go to the beach. And I'm <laughs> It's really weird. It's not right. The leaves are starting to turn and fall off my trees. They're turning red and yellow. And I'm like, fall is already here and it's August. It's barely August. <laughs> uh -huh. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, I find that so interesting that everything's just flipping. And like, as we've been reading through Isaiah, that ruin and rebirth principle that's uh, explained in the first part of the Vivid structure, that as far as key players on the scene everybody that was ruined gets reborn and everyone that's ruined or uh, vice versa <laughs> i got tripped over my words but everything flips as far as um players in the end time i wonder if it's just the same with with this and that maybe what the scripture is pointing to um that uh the waterways that that are usually plentiful are are drying up but that in itself can connote all of the different other things that just do a 180 kind of thing, maybe. I don't know. So how does that relate to Satan turning everything black is white, white is, you know, um, up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right, all of that. So Satan's flipping everything on its head. But is the Lord flipping everything on its head too? Yeah, kind of. I don't know. I I actually feel very strongly about this. This is something I've really pondered a lot because of some experiences that I've had in my life. But um, I honestly believe that it, it is not his will and he doesn't make those things happen. I don't think he would ever flip it, right? He allows it to be flipped by Satan. Mm -hmm. yeah. He doesn't flip it. I don't think he does the flipping at all. But just like with Job, right? When all that bad stuff happened with Job, it wasn't God, God allowed it to happen, right? He didn't, he didn't make it happen. It was mm -hmm. Satan that made it happen. But in the end, he flipped it back. Mm -hmm. yeah, God righted it. God righted yeah. the wrong. Yeah. Right. He will always write the wrong. Yeah. I like that. I like that phrasing better. Mm -hmm. So then, it, so then I, maybe that's what I'm saying is while Satan is flipping everything for the righteous He's writing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. God yeah. uses all things yes. for the benefit of mankind. All things. All Even of war. All the crap. Right? Yep. Everything. And that's, yeah, he makes it right. But he doesn't always make it right on this earth. That's to be noted too. Right? We don't always see that beautiful celestial 
happy ending. Mm-hmm. And between everybody's fairy tale, whether it's Cinderella or Snow White or even the modern Disney princesses, there's always great adversity, always. It always gets flipped. I think that's where we get mis we have that misunderstanding, right? Because God's purpose, his his work and glory is to bring about the immortality and eternal life of man, right? So anything and everything he does is for that purpose, right? Uh, like we look at it not as that but as like oh this is so hard right his purpose is not to make our life easy right his purpose is to bring about the eternal life and salvation of man so if we look at our trials and our struggles differently with that in mind then we realize oh he is definitely working in our lives because then we see how how we are at rising on the ladder right He's lifting us up as we dip lower and whatever, right? But, and that is, that is him working and blessing us and in this life, right? But we don't always see it as that, right? Because it's hard and it sucks in the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's one of the the big eye openers of Isaiah as well to me, that, you know, this humiliation before exaltation, that there's there's curses that we bring upon ourselves, but then there's also uh, just humiliation phases where we have to go through a descent in order to ascend. We can't just coast life. It, it, there has to be things that propel us upward and forward. And that's, you know, it's <laughs> kind of that, that phrase, uh, I never said it would be easy. I said it would be worth it kind of thing. That <laughs> we, yeah, well, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not very consoling when things are really hard (laughs) i never said it would be worse it would be easy (laughs) but if we compare that to ourselves right all of this all of the reading all that we're doing at least for me was it nephi that said like i love to liken the scriptures to myself i love to to pretend it's me that's in that story right what if the story is about you Could someone like literally be the servant that's sitting here on the podcast or on this? Who knows, right? What if it is? Nobody knows. And I, um, I don't dislike it all to us. I'm reading this, like daughter Zion talks back to the prophets and it kind of ties in. Isaiah's all about it. And it's this like trial. It's the trial of this woman where she gets accused of all these terrible, terrible, terrible things. And she's like, I didn't do anything. The Lord is punishing me like crazy. And I didn't even do anything. And how many of us feel that way, right? I didn't do anything. And the Lord is like, oh, he's drawn out a line and, and he hasn't withheld. He hasn't mm-hmm. withheld those, those punishments. Just like Sasha was saying, he allows it to happen. But, um, but we all get to receive the rewards of those things and what we allow to happen too. That's the real question is not what is the Lord allowing to happen in our lives, but what are we allowing to happen? Yeah. I don't know. And that's that's, that's making our weaknesses strengths, right? Yes. Right? And I think that's a very, it's a very, it's a very small distinction, but it has great meaning to me at least, because when I understood it that way, that it, it's not that, God isn't giving me these trials to teach me anything. That teaching is up to me, whether I learn from it or not. But these trials instead are a call to action, right? It's a call for for us to work with him, right? Because all things are 
are for his purpose, right? Like you said, all things, even war and tragedy and whatever. And as difficult as it is to see how loss of a loved one could possibly be good, you know, or whatever, but but it is in one way or another. And it, it's not that God is punishing us. He doesn't punish us. No, but, and he doesn't, he doesn't make those bad things happen, but instead it's on us, whether we choose to learn from them or not. And I think as I have learned to take that perspective, it's really helped me to feel like I have more control over it. Like I'm not just a puppet, like a marionette, you know, because I think sometimes we feel that way. Do we not? Like it's toying with us or toying with our lives. Oh, let's see what she does in this circumstance. <laughs> they did that with a lot, yes. just as a reminder. So, <laughs> yeah. but, again, but God didn't do it. No, no, Mm-mm. but He allowed it. So sometimes, yeah. um, well, you're speaking to Sasha, at least for me, it's a good reminder to go, I'm human, I'm human, I'm human, I'm human. And okay, maybe whatever it is god sees the big picture i don't that word myopic he sees the big picture i see the tiny picture i'm learning to see the big picture but um one of the things you said makes me think like stand up and fight like are we going to stand up and fight but some of us are fighters by nature and it's more important for us to sit back and surrender yeah than to stand up and fight true if that makes sense just to let let it flow let it be whatever it is Yeah. Well, that has probably been the hardest lesson for me in my life because I am like that. I tend to be Mm -hmm. like, oh no, you (laughs) I want to be all over that and write that wrong. (laughs) And so I've had to learn to just, you know what? I don't have control over that and that's okay. Right. And just let it go. But one of the things, so just to share a little bit, I was, I I'm divorced, right? I have been divorced and um, I was mad because it ended up being an abusive relationship, abusive marriage, and God led me into that marriage. And I could not understand why God would do that, right? And why he wouldn't answer my prayers because nothing ever got better. And I nothing I ever said or did made it better, right? And then he helped me to understand that he allowed, he, he put me into that marriage because my ex, had to be judged based on what he did, not what he would do. And just like that, like he, he will be judged partially for that. Right. But conversely, I have that opportunity. How am I going to handle that? Am I going to let that poison my life and bring me down? Because if so, then it's going to work to my demise, but instead he's giving me that opportunity to let it exalt me. Right. And to let me climb that ladder. And so it's, but it's difficult. It's really hard because, you know, you get mad, you get angry and all of those things come between you and the spirit. Right. So yeah. Anyway, that's just like a tidbit of what I have, I have come to understand. And it, it's really drastically changed my relationship with heavenly father because it, no more is he like, like, I, I don't know. I tend to think for instance, when I was young, you know, we were taught to use thee, thy, thou, and whatever, right? And so when I was mad at him for leading me into that marriage, I thought for sure, like a bolt of lightning was going to come down and strike me if I even told him as much. You know? 
So one day I was like, I don't even care anymore. I'm telling him how it is. <laughs> and I got down on my knees and I'm like, I'm mad at you. <laughs> and I thought for sure he was going to be like, <laughs> and strike me dead or something, you know, but he didn't. And it was just love. And in that moment, I realized like, that's not the God that he is. You know, he's not there to punish us and he's not there to be harsh with us, but he's there to love us and help us through. But that ties in, sorry, Cameron, everyone oh, else. For it, yeah. this. Um, but that ties into me with all of us, with the church in general as the bride of Christ and men, women, like each individual one of us as the bride of Christ, if, if all of us, whatever the gender, whatever the situation, or to imagine ourselves as that, the covenant in a covenant relationship with Christ, what will we allow ourselves to go through without divorcing him? Because mm. marriage can make people mad, right? Like, I don't know. I've been married 20 years. I was divorced before that 20-year marriage. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm, that's what I'm learning. That's what the Lord's teaching me, at least. How much will I allow? How much, whether it's abuse from the world or whatever that is, am I going to allow and still love Christ and still, even though I'm mad at him, not divorce yep. him, not turn my back? And I can yell because that happens in marriage, right? We're normal. <laughs> but not leave him at the same time does that make sense to anybody else like well yeah because a in a marriage yeah I mean you know you you do have to express that emotion right you get mad at each other it happens and if you don't then it drives you apart but instead if you do it in the right way even though you're mad at them or whatever then it'll actually end up bringing you closer and I feel like that's exactly what happened with me it wasn't until I actually told him what my heart was feeling, you know, that then he's like, okay, now I can, I can commune with you. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like this for you and sorry, everyone else, maybe this is important, but um, anyone who's lived in a valley where like in Utah County, I just moved out of Utah County where there's an inversion where the whole, I, the whole valley is just covered in this ick. There's just this fog of nasty ick everywhere. And it takes a storm and sometimes a right nasty storm yep. to clear that out. And it makes me ponder on whether it's the same or not. Cause I just learned to yell at God this year, just in February after moving to our promised land homeless. That's when I finally learned to yell at God. And since then I'm like, Oh my gosh, our relationship has become so much more clear. It like cleared the air, like an inversion, but it took a storm so again, just a reminder before I'll turn the time back to Cameron, the Lord uses all things, all for and our good. We can ask yeah. him, we can ask him about that. Like, why, okay. why did you do that? And he will tell us, you know, and sometimes. so we have that purpose and meaning. Sometimes we're not ready to receive it, right? Like sometimes if I take a while, oh gosh, it's taken me 10 years at, with some questions, right? And it just took one word. And then all the things I studied and pondered came flooding, but yeah like we can ask why did you have why did I have to go into this marriage why did I have to lose this loved one why did you know whatever it is why did I have to be homeless and then he can teach us right and that's mm -hmm. how else is he going to teach us if we never go and ask yeah exactly I, I mean that's the the huge important push of of the church right now to to hear him like actually go and hear him not just passively obey the commandments and and hope you're going to be saved and endure to the end kind of thing but hear him develop a relationship if you haven't and and start refining those skills in talking i, I love that 
Um, this is, of course, I, I don't know if I've ever heard it that way. I learned to, to yell at God this year, but but that's like a great way to, to put it. I learned how to, to do couples counseling, you know, like I, I, I got it, you know, this is, this is how it works. He's ready to come to us as soon as we're ready to come to him uh, kind of thing. You know, what a, a loving God that is. Uh, I've learned that so much this last year and, and this year, like he'll answer our questions if they're they're presented honestly if they're just vain repetitions you know we're just constantly praying for the same thing without ever giving an answer but if you try to reframe your question and and make it from the heart he always answers in in one way or another uh, it's always not how i expect it i mean there's always some different trial or, or a different way to go about something but um it, what a merciful god that that does that and that we are in this life with that, that lifeline. Prayer is, is such a huge thing that, you know, I took for granted for so many years, but, but, but now I'm here and I got it. <laughs> but I love that he is okay with us getting mad at him. And he's like, okay, mm -hmm. good. Now you're ready to learn. Mm -hmm. And where, how often when with anyone, oh my gosh, I got in a fight with the Taco Bell lady today. You know? <laughs> She was really mean to me. And I'm like, where's your customer service? And anyways, that's a funny story, but, but we, we bite back. Right. And he doesn't, he doesn't bite back. He lets other people bite us, but he doesn't bite back. And when they bite us and we get down and we finally turn back to him, he's like, okay, now I'm right. Now you're ready. It's not now I'm ready. It's now you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> he's always ready. He's, he's right there. I love it. Um, so I kind of wanted to, to dive into another, uh, one real quick. Um, so which one would y'all like to, uh, tackle next? So we can go to like 47, which is the other half of the Bifid structure where it kind of combines all 10 oracles in one. Um, or we can go to, uh, another interesting one, like 22, which is the arena of spectacles. I think that's a, a huge one with idolatry that we're facing right now. Um, Cameron, Cameron, did you make this? Uh, yes, yeah. But okay, these, will, these you, will you post that? Because I really like this. Like I'm looking at this and I'm like going check mark, check mark. Oh, we haven't done that yet. Check mark, you know. Man, yeah. I really like the idolatry in that arena of spectacles. We've beat that one with like a dead horse, right? <laughs> but um, it's just interesting as you look at, this is really good. I like this, Cameron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I'm going through Isaiah this time, my goal is to kind of like create charts anytime that I stumble upon something that I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Okay, just chart it out, see if you can figure it out. And then that's what I try to. Uh, but what a gift, because I don't always know when I've stumbled on something. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, it's in Triumph of Zion. Uh, he mentions that anytime he's like, it's easy to find the mysteries of God. Anytime that you're reading and come upon something that you're like, what then that's a mystery and you got to figure it out because it's usually a paradox that you have to resolve in your mind or something um and so that's charting is my way of resolving like paradoxes like when i was uh, looking at this humiliation exaltation example i was like okay now i am not getting what avraham is getting here so i need some help so i, I started looking at it and looking at all the different names and stuff and 
anyway, it presents these 10 oracles and okay, so I'm gonna chart it out, I'm gonna put it on a map. Uh, and then, then it gets stuck in my head because I have something visual to look at. But, but yeah, um, I do post these on the, the Learning Zion website. Um, let me- Awesome, thank you. Uh -huh. Yeah, for sure. Um, so here on the homepage, I have it here, uh, this week's homework versus next week's homework. Um, you can access it there or um, in the actual class itself. When you go and watch the, the videos, I'll, I'll have those uh, week by week um, in their sections along with all of the videos. Um, um, thank you for everyone on in this world who's visual. And I'll vote Arena <laughs> of Spectacles if nobody else is voting. All right, yeah. Let's Back go to that, that topic. Because that one's a fun one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, Isaiah 22 here uh, talks about an oracle concerning the Arena of Spectacles. Whatever is the matter with you, causing you all at once to climb onto housetops, you resounded with loud cheers, a tumultuous town, a city of revelry. But your slain were not killed by the sword. They did not die in battle. Your chiefs altogether in flight, all captured without using the bow. All of you left behind are caught easily before you can get away. Because I have said, turn your attention from me, though I weep bitterly. Hasten not to comfort me at the ruin of the daughter of people. Uh, for my Lord Jehovah of hosts has in store a day of commotion and trampling, a riot in the arena of spectacles, a day of battering down walls and of crying in distress to the mountains. When Elam takes up the quiver and horses are harnessed to the chariots of Aram and Kerr uncovers the armor, then shall your choice valleys fill with chariots and cavalry take up positions at your gateways. And in the day Judea's defense screen is removed, you will look at the forest home as protection. When you saw the city of David increasingly breached, you covered, uh, just a second, my contact started floating around. <laughs> you conserved water in the lower reservoir. You took a census of the buildings of Jerusalem, tearing down buildings to fortify your wall. You built cisterns between the walls for the water from the old reservoir, but you did not look to its maker, nor have regard for the one who designed it long ago. In such a day, my Lord Jehovah of hosts calls for weeping and lamentation, for austerity and wearing sackcloth. Instead, there is a mirth and merrymaking, the killing of cattle and slaughter of sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us dine and drink, for tomorrow we die. So just kind of, I mean, there, there's a little bit more to it, but um, just from that, what, what do we take from this arena of spectacles? Is it approved of the Lord? Is it um, uh, something that, that plays out in the last day? What do we see here? Well, it reminded me of all the curses in Leviticus 26 for not keeping the Sabbath day holy. That's a great point. Yeah, I hadn't put that one um, specifically with that before. But yeah, I mean, these are definitely Sabbath day kind of curses. Yeah. That puts a new twist on why it's important to delight in the Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> yep, because there's, not, there's some not so fun things if we don't, right? <laughs> right. No okay. one wants to be cast into that role. Like if we're looking at life as a great screenplay or whatever, or as a movie script, nobody wants this. No, I mean, but how entertaining would that be as a movie? Because it's kind of <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> but yep. but I, I kind of disagree with you. Like, 
how many people willfully turn against God and they really don't care knowing, but they're like, they don't have the faith to follow. And so they just don't care. Now they don't want these things to happen, but they're happy to trade uh, their, what they think brings them joy now for what will bring them sadness later thinking if I have what you think of as joy, that brings me sadness. Does that make sense? And so I don't want that. I don't want that kind of joy because that's not joyful. That's sad and hurtful or whatever. And so I'm happy to eat, drink and be merry now. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they don't think that it will bring them sadness later. They don't. I mean, even though they're told that they don't realize that that will actually happen or they don't think that it will actually happen. That's what I'm saying. It's their lack of faith or knowledge of God. And, you know, we've all talked about, we have kids that are wayward. They know. Right. And they willfully turn away. So do you think that's what it is really not to challenge you on that, but, oh, don't get me wrong. I'm a rebel soul. I got rebel in my bones. It will always be there. But. Do you think that there's some twist on perspective here? Yeah. Some twist on perspective, right? Just like you were saying, um, if the world ended right this second, essentially God could say, well, you guys should have all died joyfully because you all chose what you were doing in that moment. Whether you wanted to or not, whether you were in prison or not, you were still choosing, you still had agency in that last moment. And I, I totally get it. Um, um, a germaphobe's paradise is most people's prison, right? Where they're like confined in this solitary little space. Some people would love that and to be isolated and others, it's the worst thing imaginable. So I don't, for me, at least, I, I try to think of it from an internal and an external view of what's their perspective. You're, you're pointing that out, but just in a different way. Mm-hmm. I hope to well, look at it without, without judgment. Right. No, I, I know what you're saying. And I'm thinking of my son who's like, I do not like the church. I don't like the teachings that does not bring me joy. This brings me joy. And, and so he walked away, um, and, and, and willingly traded that is what I'm saying. They willingly traded it because of the joy, what they, what, what brings me joy does not bring him joy. It's what the world calls, that's not my truth. <laughs> when in reality, truth is truth, right? And they're like, well, that's not my truth. That might be your truth, but it's not true. It doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> yeah, that was the craziest thing to me. The first time I heard that, I was like, are, are you literally just denying the truth because you just don't want to hear it? All right, whatever. <laughs> Help. Well, it, it ties into Jacob and Esau a little bit, at least for me, which is like yeah. the beginning of Israel, right? Um, that Just that perspective. I'll trade anything. Just give me the porridge, just the bowl of, or pottage, whatever. Uh-huh. And he traded his birthright for it. And yeah, I don't know about any of you, but I've sure been there before. I've been that son. He's like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. throw myself in the guilty boat all day long. <laughs> yeah, but I think <laughs> we all have to mercies. get to that point, right? We all yeah. have to get to that point where we have to ask ourselves and we have to make that conscious decision. 
to be, and I, you know, I was born in the church. Alicia and I were both born in the church, right? And raised. And so we, we were not converts, but converts have that, right? They, they have to face that question. Is this right? Is this true? Is this, you know, whatever. And I think we all have to come to that point where we have to really sincerely ask ourselves, you know, what am I willing to give up to keep this? Is it worth it? You know, I don't, I don't know about your experience. I think we've talked about Alethea, but growing up in Houston, like there was a lot of persecution for being LDS, right? So at a young age, I had to ask myself, is this worth it? <laughs> so at a pretty young age, I was questioning, like, is this really true? You know, but you do, you have to, I don't know. I think we, like you said, we all have to be that son where we question, right? And we, we have those doubts and whatever, but if we didn't have that opportunity, then it wouldn't be our free agency. We wouldn't be choosing, right? It would just be the circumstance that we're born into. Mm -hmm. I wonder now looking at this, the arena of spectacles, um, like in the last supper, the Lord sitting with his disciples and he's like, one of you is going to betray me just the way it is, right? He's sitting there with his closest friends and his confidants and says, one of you is going to turn against me. So my favorite thing from that, and I think they gave, someone gave a talk in a priesthood session and they ended up reading later on, but Lord is it I. So maybe that's the question for all of us, right? Is where in this arena of spectacles, Lord, is it I? Where am I in this? Which part am I playing right now? I think that's part of it, right? I think it's so easy to look at people who come to church and they're tattooed and they got dreadlocks and they smell like cigarettes, right? But we Amen all, we're all that person, right? It's mm -hmm. just that some of us, it's on the outside. Some of us are on the inside. It's not a seeable, right? But we are all the prodigal son. It's, it's in all of us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that, <laughs> wrapping that all up, I, <laughs> it's all said perfectly. I, I can't add anything to it. <laughs> I forgot what Avraham said the spectacles was. He specifically said it was something. Was it um, uh -huh, sports and entertainment? Is that what it was? Okay. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. I thought it was yeah. something even more egregious than that. Uh, yeah, I so guess if you talk about the gladiators, that's a sporting event. I mean, it was something kind of egregious when I was listening to them. Mm -hmm, yeah. So here at the top, sports and amusement addicts suffer enemy invasion. So they they play it out in like as gladiators and and all of that. But really, you're just playing out the final battle, uh, the the battle of Armageddon or Gog and Magog, and uh, just rehearsing those things. Um, uh, but yet you're addicted to it in, in the moment that sports is one of the, the ultimate forms of idolatry. And uh, anyway, he goes into lots in his commentary there. In the commentary, he also says that um, they used to do sacrifices in yeah. the Coliseum. So yeah, that's what it was. I was thinking something like that, something that was just really even more egregious than just sports. Mm -hmm. Okay. But hold on for a second. Cause just, I, I kind of, what I'm hearing from Cameron, at least, is it is egregious. It is egregious. How many parents sacrifice, maybe not like murder their children, but how many sacrifice their children and those teachings and the eternal blessings that could come, the Sabbath blessings, by watching sports or sacrifice literally the minds and the hearts of their tenderhearted children by exposing them to these egregious things. 
whether it's on the television or in a sporting arena or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but it, it looks mo- a lot more <laughs> egregious than well, I was I mean, going to say. This, I was going to say the same thing. Um, I guess I guess egregious maybe isn't the right word. It's more um, blatantly wrong to be killing, right? Then that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking. But I was thinking about when um, we actually did homeschooling and distance learning with our three younger kids. And they would go to seminary and their, um, their friends are like, yeah, I don't learn anything at school. We're just going for the sports. And they were always so sad. They're like, really? That's the only reason why. And parents would even say that, you know, you can't do sports like this if you're homeschooling. And it was like, but you're sacrificing the values, the education, whatever. They knew it was bad, but they wanted their kids in the sports. Well, those versions of idolatry, and I am so sorry, please forgive me if this is like offending everyone or anyone, Um, but those versions of idolatry are so accepted, so accepted and so available. And I don't know if I've talked about it here or just in other avenues before, but the day I sat in a sacrament meeting and somebody was talking about literally like the physical possessions that we all have, right? The stuff. And the word possessed totally hit me like nothing else before Mm, Yeah, that we're possessed by our possessions and and by the images and the words that are used around us. So anyway, back to you, Cameron. (laughs) Sorry for inviting everyone. Something (laughs) I have one comment. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, One thing I thought was interesting is my husband has always played basketball and he's been wanting to get back in just to play church ball in the mornings, just for his little bit of exercise yeah. and he he needed a new pair of basketball shoes and he's like I don't know where I'm gonna buy shoes every pair of shoes either is like a certain player's shoes which he's like I don't feel good about that or they have horrible symbols on it <laughs> like it's so hard once you learn all these things he's like I can't find just a plain pair of shoes so it's just interesting the small ways that it's all like weaved in there, like you can't even get away from it. Yeah, it, it's a very addictive thing. I mean, uh, you know, most people will say that they're not addicted to, to sports or uh, whatever. Oh, we're just watching. There's no harm or whatever. But like Elder Holland talked about that, that uh, it's a, a huge thing where we check our religion at the door when we go into to sporting events or uh, immerse ourselves in those kind of things. And if you look back at the, the, the culture, uh, during Christ's time, uh, we have the, the Hellenization that, that came in the Greeks, uh, with their sporting events and gymnasiums and, and all of this, that when a Jewish young boy would be raised up, uh, with Greek neighbors, etc. Uh, of course he wants to participate with his friends in, in all these sporting events and, and things that are talked about. And many Jews were, were reversing their circumcision so that they could go uh, play these naked sports with the other people in, in the stadiums. It's like, it's a, a hop, skip, and a jump from uh, just dabbling to, to full-on addiction and, and selling your soul, really uh, becoming possessed by your possessions kind of thing, as Shamla was saying. Um, yeah, if you read anything of, of Abraham's, uh, he, <laughs> there's, there's literally no redeemable por- 
points of sports. Uh, it's all um, that arena of spectacles, as, as Isaiah puts it. But, you know, uh, <laughs> that might be a hard pill to swallow. I know that uh, there's, there's some in uh, my family or community that would be like, whoa, you're off the deep end now if you're, you're trying to get us rid of uh, sports. But it, it, it's not trying to convince those people necessarily. It's like once the Lord tells you to, to limit your, your usage or, or whatever, you know, follow that, hear him in, in those ways, but uh, constantly be on the look for idolatry in yourself and in your family and um, help facilitate that process and not just be a burden on people that are uh, trying to remove it from their lives kind of thing. I think that that's a, a huge key for our end times as we um, are trying to really distinguish between God's plan and Satan's plan. I think that that's what Isaiah is really trying to get at here. Um, that yes, we we play uh, with fire in the the, the sports arenas, but um, in the end, uh, we'll we'll see where it comes down. You have to pick a line, uh, a team, and uh, there's only one team that wins, so, <laughs> and we know which one it is, which is a, a great miracle for us to uh, know what it takes to to be on the winning team and, and be on the Lord's side at the end of the the whole thing. So yeah, just kind of encapsulating that in uh, these oracles, these 10 oracles against the, the foreign uh, entities uh, around Jerusalem there, they all had many different areas of uh, wickedness or uh, influence upon Jerusalem. And uh, in the end times, we will also have these, these same 10 oracles or plagues or whatever you want to call them that, uh, that we have to deal with and face in, in our day. Um, so yeah, this is a, a huge point in the Bifid structure, but it's not the main point as I found out this week. As I was diving into next week's material, uh, Avraham says that the suffering and salvation is the, the big kahuna of uh, <laughs> all of the Bifid structure. Uh, so we're mounting up to that. I thought it was the uh, this one, the humiliation and exaltation, but, but I'm wrong. <laughs> so if I said that in the past, it's, it's next week, the next two weeks material that are uh, key into understanding the atonement and, and Christ's suffering, etc. in uh, the picture of all of these principles that we've been building up, ruin and rebirth, punishment and deliverance, uh, rebellion and compliance, and humiliation and exaltation. Those are all foundation stones to help us really understand what um, this suffering and salvation is all about um, in the next two weeks. It's going to be really fun to, to dive into those. Anyway, just any final comments, things. Um, for anybody that joined late, a uh, quick announcement on the 18th, so not next Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, I'm going to be down at Education Week. And so this class time, we're bumping it forward. Uh, a couple of hours. So it's going to be 7 p.m. at Mountain Standard Time from 7 to 8 on the 18th. Um, yeah, any final comments? Uh, things that... I do. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i a documentaries junkie. I know it's retarded, but <laughs> I, I, was, I was watching this one and it was actually about the gladiators, right? And they had found like their skeletons or whatever, right? Their remains. And they were shackled and they were quite surprised. Um, but as they studied their teeth 
and their diet and everything, they realized these people were not from there. They had come from far, far away and they were raised very destitute, but they had traveled many miles to come and be the gladiator. It was a willing thing that they did, you know, mm -hmm. and they, um, they basically, you know, sold the sold themselves into bondage for the praise of man. Right. And isn't that so true? Like how often do we do that where, you know, we do, we do things because we want to get the praise of man instead of the, the praise from God and that influence that, yeah. But it's yeah. bondage. Doing that is put you in bondage, right? Yeah. Actual bondage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, Stefan talked about that. Gileadi says that idolatry comprises any activity that diverts a worshiper's attention from the true God, which is so true. Um, in his book, The Last Days, he talks about the, uh, the all the different forms of idolatry, and he actually, um, oh, I thought I had it right here. Anyway, um, he has a, a little pamphlet kind of book uh, about idolatry in all of its forms that he pulled out of those chapters from, from that Last Days book, which is a, a great read. Modern idolatry, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, and Elle says that it sounds like a quote President Benson said about sin. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, if that's it for tonight, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and say adieu for another week, but it's been fun. It, it's always a, a blast uh, <laughs> reading scriptures with you guys. I love it. Thanks for, for showing up and being who you are. <laughs> it's awesome. All right, we'll see everyone next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.